Let's talk lunchtime. Remember the good old days when we weren't afraid of sandwiches? The carb fear is real, you guys. Uh, so many of my friends are watching carbs, but it's tough. I mean, the best things in life have carbs, right? Hero Bread makes those same delicious favorites free of consequences or compromises. Their breads contain zero to one grams of net carbs, zero grams of sugar, and they're even high in fiber. That's not all. The taste and texture are spot on. The soft, fluffy experience you love when enjoying like a savory breakfast burrito or a mouth-watering cheeseburger. Hero Bread has it figured out. So don't give up being a breadhead. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. So go to hero.co and use code love at checkout. That's love at H-E-R-O dot C-O. When I wrote my first book, having an online store was the furthest thing from my mind. Now I'm able to share my books, fun t-shirts, more, all in my online shop. And it's so easy, all because I use Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. I love how Shopify works. No matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash for the love, all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash for the love now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash for the love. Welcome to For the Love Podcast with best-selling author Jen Hatmaker. Come on in and join us for a chat with Jen and friends about all the things we love. Now, here's Jen. Hey guys, it's me, Jen. Welcome to the For the Love podcast. Super glad to have you this week. So we are in the middle of a really cool series that I'm loving called For the Love of Food. And I think what, if you've been listening along, you're figuring out it's not just about food. So you don't have to be a foodie. You don't have to be a cook. You don't have to be a chef to find any of this interesting because sort of embedded in the discussion on food is also hospitality and worth and identity and family and neighbors. There's just so much around the table. So um, I think this is a spiritual practice and it's an emotional practice and it's a physical practice. And so today's guest is going to hit all those notes in a dozen ways. This is a really fascinating conversation and I can't wait for you to listen in. So my, my guest today is celebrity chef, television host, uh, New York Times bestselling author, mama four, Melissa D. Arabian. Oh, she's so great, you guys. So Melissa's so interesting. She's She's got a real great background. She's got an MBA from Georgetown. And so she was in, in corporate finance and strategy before moving into cooking. So she's really interesting and she's got a lot of nuance to her experience and, and to her careers. And so um, she she left that world and became a stay-at-home mom because you guys, four daughters in two and a half years. We're going to talk about that. You just do the math. Okay. Um, I told her that every time I see a picture of her daughters, I think they're all the same age. They, they look identical, like quadruplets. Anyway, so... Out of that space, with all the littles, with the girls at home, Melissa 
competed on and then won season five of the next Food Network star. Um, Amazing. And so right after that, she got this hit show on the Food Network called $10 Dinners. You've probably seen it. Um, I've watched, I can't even count how many episodes, and I can't even count how many recipes of hers I have made. She also then went on to write the cookbook that went with it, which was a New York Times bestseller. And then she had a very highly anticipated second cookbook that's out and available everywhere called Supermarket Healthy. Like, this is in our wheelhouse, you guys. This is how to cook healthy, affordable from your grocery store. Like, this is this is for people who are not fancy, who do not always have access to, um, you know, a garden or the any of it. Okay, this is, Melissa is like right alongside all of us. And so she still serves as a regular judge on the Food Network primetime series, Guy's Grocery Games. She's so fun on it. She also writes a nationally syndicated weekly column for the Associated Press called Healthy Plate. She's actually a really amazing writer, a really phenomenal communicator. Um, right now, she's hosting multiple foodnetwork.com series, which are really fun, super easy and fast to watch, really accessible. Um, one's called The Picky Eaters Project, and the other one's called Smart Carts, and you would love them both. And I'll have those all these links up on my website. So um, one thing that I also love about Melissa is that she lends her time and her voice to causes that are really meaningful to her, really close to her heart, and really close to her own experience. So one of them is um, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and the other is the Share Our Strengths No Kid Hungry campaign. I love, I love how she lends her weight and influence to those important um, causes. And so She's a super sought-after expert, and she's in national media all the time. But one thing that um, you might not know about her that we'll talk about at length is that in addition to sharing her diverse life experiences, she also talks a lot about her faith journey. In fact, um, Melissa recently earned a certificate of theology and ministry through Princeton Theological Seminary. Faith is a really important part, um, not just of her food life, but of her whole life. She's got some amazing thoughts on that. I can't wait for you to hear it. She and her husband have four beautiful daughters, and she is an absolute delight, and you're going to love her if you don't already. So I welcome to the podcast, Melissa D. Arabian. Okay, Melissa, I am absolutely thrilled to have you on today. So, so thrilled to have you on. I was just trying to think about um, when we met, and it was just, was it just last year or the year before? You know, it was last year. I was thinking about that too. Um, we've sort of, I think, known of each other and have followed yeah. each other um, on social media for, for a while. Um, but yeah, we met in person for the first time at the Belong Tour. Um, we're, I guess we were out, over in California, right? Yes. Yeah. You were yeah. in Ontario. So like yeah, outside of LA. I was so tickled to... So tickled to meet you. I, I've I've watched you and I followed you and I identify with you in so many ways. And so I I was thrilled when you walked back in with your friend and I got to put my arms around you. Also, you're a very tiny person, tiny. I, I, like I could carry you on my head. Well, you know, you're you're tall. Uh, I yeah. am. So I'm. I mean, I'm five four. I say five four. I'm really five three and a half. So I'm really. Uh, <laughs> um, but you know, yeah. Uh, but the, yeah, that's so fun to meet people in real life because you really usually see them from the head up, or you don't really, yep. you know, you don't really have a context. But yeah, you're. And also, you wear heels. I wear toms. Okay, that's true. You know, we are. Okay. <laughs> we are different people. I wear toms, and um, and yeah. 
Oh, I'm laughing. You know, I don't actually wear heels that often. I think I was wearing them that day. But somewhere in my life as a speaker and a person who does that kind of work, I um, I realized, I thought once upon a time I had to wear heels. That that was some sort of rule. I didn't know. I just was looking at my colleagues thinking, well, they are. Um, and then I thought, I don't like these. These hurt my feet. I'm going to wear cowboy boots. And so that's mainly what I wear, but I'm still like a giant. I'm so yeah, tall. Yeah, but cowboy boots have heels. You were wearing cowboy boots. Okay, oh, I see what you're saying. That's your like, definition I, of heels. I, I, yeah, I, <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Let me rewind. Um, you're not wearing toms, therefore it's heels. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now, we're clear. We're clear. Now I understand your um, life perspective. No, in all fairness, okay. you were speaking that day. I was in an audience. So the truth is, had I been speaking, I would have been wearing heels too. Probably not boots, but actual heels. So anyway. Okay, yeah. that's so yes. there we are. There's our um, heel and boot theology that we have now sorted out between us, and it's beautiful. So listen, um, um, you know, I also have, you've got a big family. I do too. I've got five kids. You've got four. Um, and we're, we're authors, we're speakers, we're writers. We have a lot in common. And so, um, I, I think not just me, but a lot of people can't wait to hear what you have to say today about, well, all the stuff, juggling, um, career and family and our passion projects and, um, alongside with trying to feed these people that live with mm-hmm. us, right? Mm-hmm. Like, all these kids live in our house and the people that we're married to, and we want to do all these things well and not just feed everybody chicken nuggets and pizza every single day. So um, I really like what you've had to say about uh, about your mom and the influence she was on you and what you're doing today. Can you just tell us a little bit about um, what it was like in your house growing up? Like, how you, how did your mom instill a love of cooking in you and also teach you sort of the practical side of it? My mom was not a great cook. And ah. so it's, um, in fact, I actually, I, I wrote a piece once, um, which has not, not gone and not gone anywhere. It probably will. It'll appear somewhere. But I wrote a piece once about, can you learn a love of cooking from somebody who can't cook? Yeah, and I like that. And that's what it was that I learned with my mom. And, and here's how I know that this is true. One, I know it's true because, um, it's happened to me, but two, I think there's a very big difference between the skill of cooking and, um, and, and being good at it, um, versus, um, and being sort of impressive versus being a host and being hospitable. And I learned the gift of hospitality from my mom. And, mm. and so I think that that has shaped who I am as a cook because I have never lost sight of the fact that things do not have to be fancy. They do not have to mm. be expensive. They don't even have to be all that good to make people feel good. <laughs> nice. and, and believe me, my mom is a great example of that. Like the stuff that she made was not, was not particularly great. I, I can, I can pinpoint exactly when I fell in love with hospitality and okay. when I realized that that's what, what my life was going to be about in some form or another, not necessarily, you know, uh, you know, chef on food network or whatever, but, um, right. But when I was five, um, my mom was a single mom, uh, putting herself through college and she had two daughters, my sister and me. So we had no money. We were on, you know, food stamps and no money, like literally Mm. no food in the fridge sometimes. So Mm. very, um, very kind of tricky upbringing. And she, um, you know, was a full-time student in college and then eventually medical school. And then things financially turned around when I was in high school. But, um, back when I was five, we had no money. And I remember she invited all my little, 
you know, five-year-old friends from kindergarten and all my sister's um, second grade hmm. friends, um, girlfriends from her school and then invited some of her friends from, um, from college, none of whom had uh, okay. daughters, but um, they all, they all <laughs> came. And she, this is right around Christmas time. And she said, we will just play the piano. Um, she didn't play the piano. When I say we, she mean, she meant my sister and me. So it was basically chopsticks. Okay. And um, we played the piano and we put on the Andy Williams Christmas album and we strung yeah. popcorn onto strings for to decorate our tree and she made homemade cookies and we had hot cocoa oh. you know from powder and and water it wasn't even yeah. milk we didn't even put milk we put water and right. cookies and we had this gathering to celebrate Christmas. And my mom called it the mother-daughter tea because I think tea sounded fancier hmm. than hot cocoa. Sure. And it was very simple, but it was so sweet and special. And in that moment, I realized I knew we didn't have money. I knew. I knew my whole life we didn't have money. Yeah. But I knew that we had made people feel welcome. And I knew hmm. that those girls felt welcome. So I learned about the power of women coming together. I learned, and, and I don't sure. mean just the women, the girls coming over, but I mean also the three of us women, my mom and my sister and me. Mm. And I, we created these these cookies and this welcoming. And so this turned into an annual tradition that we had every yeah. year. That um, and and as we grew, the 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 event grew and we would start like cooking like cookies, you know, baking cookies like way in advance and freezing them. And then we went through a, an unfortunate hmm. fruitcake phase and, you know, we did all, <laughs> you know and, we had, and it turned into like this kind of really nice party by the time I was in college that was like a full brunch yeah. and it was fancier. And, and there are people in my life who have gone to these mother-daughter teas, you know, hmm. almost since the beginning. And when my mom died when I was 20, I remember one of the things, one of the hardest things for me was that first year not having a mother-daughter holiday tea. And I thought, if I ever have a daughter, I will have a mother-daughter holiday tea. And of course, God has plans. So, you know. Lucky so, you. Yeah. So I will tell you, my girls, it is it is really the highlight of one of their highlights of their year is having our mother-daughter holiday tea. But um, the point is that I learned hospitality from my mom. I'd love for you to talk about that a little bit more because I think probably – a lot of people listening um, crave hospitality because it's so life-giving. It's so good for our souls. It's so good for our homes and our families and our communities. But um, but we get incredibly hung up on on the details that actually don't matter. I, I would love for you to talk about that a little bit because not everybody is a Food Network star, right? Like not everybody is comfortable in the kitchens. A lot of them are like your mom. Um, but, you know, what would you say? What would you say to that woman who is maybe lonely, um, but she is she's holding back on opening her home or um, being hospitable to her friends and neighbors because of fill in the blank, the way her house is, um, what her skills in the kitchen are, um, how she thinks this is supposed to look. Like, what would you say to that? Well, um, first of all, I would direct everybody to the podcast interview you had with Shauna because mm -hmm. I think um, I th she had such great ideas. Um, so I will pick new ideas, but I will also direct everybody to that because mm -hmm. um, that was a, a really beautiful conversation that I think um, that, that I so agreed with. Um, you know, here's the thing. Cooking is not a performance. 
It's, it's not a performance. It's, um, and it's not even about impressing. I have to be careful about language. Like, you know, I want to impress your friend, you know, as if it is a performance, um, you know, serve them restaurant worthy, you know, X, Y, Z. You know, we have to be careful about making restaurants our, um, you know, the pinnacle of, of what we're, what we're striving for in our kitchens. Um, and, and to be very clear, I love restaurants and I love beautiful food. I have a friend, Richard Blaze, who is probably, um, just one of the greatest geniuses in the kitchen and he's an artist. And when he mm-hmm. cooks, honestly, it's artistry and it's beautiful. And I love partaking it, um, partaking in, in his food, you know, but restaurant food, is, it's just a different thing. And we have to be very careful when we make that our, um, you know, Know, our goal, if you will, or yeah. our, or the litmus, or the, right. the the standard by which we measure our food, because um, restaurant food is just not the same thing as as home food. That doesn't mean home food mm. can't be delicious and wonderful and beautiful and all those things. So, I would say um, let's remind ourselves that when we're inviting people into our homes, we have to remember, I think, for me, I have to remember, what is the goal here? Mm. The goal in having someone in my home is connection. That's good. It's connection. And it's not just collectivity, but it's intimacy. It's mm-hmm. intimacy. So when I impress you, I, I separate from you because suddenly now I'm in a different, I'm in a different box. Why? Because mm-hmm. I've, it's, it is very hard to feel connected when you're impressed, Right. That's right. There's like a balance of power there and it's tilted. Now let's talk about if you do want to have people over, what to do. So first of all, uh, let's rid ourselves of this notion of that impressing is the important piece here. Connection okay. is the important piece. Intimacy is the most important piece. So, you know, it, it keep it simple. Keep mm-hmm. it simple. Good. And I will tell you yeah, this. I've learned that you from you. Can, you can. I'm not making it up. I I bought a big, huge vat thing like this, like, like, at the, at like business Costco that holds like, I don't know how many gallons of soup just simply because I hmm. love having like soup dinners, like chili dinners. Um, I, I, like I, that. I love that. You know what else I love doing? I love doing potlucks. I mm-hmm. love doing potlucks where I'll say to everybody, oh, yeah. okay, everybody, I'll even have it be like a crock pot potluck. Everybody bring, you know, like a it. soup or something in a crock pot and I'll provide the this and the that. Like, so there's some creative ways to connect mm-hmm. and to be intimate and, rem- and reminding ourselves that who is around the table and being, being in re- receptive sort of mode and being open to intimacy, that's that's the magic of having people in your home. And that's the yeah, magic really of is. food. I, I feel like every bite of food is an exercise in gratitude and dependence on God. Yes. I like it, that. We're going to go back to your story in a minute, but I would like to hear you talk a little bit more about this, about in your life, in your perspective, in your experience, um, this intersection of food and of faith. Um, you know, that's just beautiful territory for me. You know, I love that you're speaking my love language, but not necessarily a conversation we see often. Um, so I would, I would love to hear you speak into that. Why, why do you think this food and faith can be such, um, this such honestly, holy ground, really? Like, um, how do you, how do you understand that? 
Ah, well, you know that's a that's a really big um, a really big question, and I will try to give a, um, a at least a medium answer because um, I think <laughs> short. That's my goal. My goal in life is to, to be medium. <laughs> short so. answer. Ship has sailed, I think, with me. Um, but medium, I'll I'll do my best. Um, I'm kidding. But you know, it's interesting because uh, I don't know if it's interesting. You be the judge. But for me, it's interesting. You know, I've sort of had this parallel world of you know food. Um, and this sort of other parallel world of faith, you know, I talk about food and, you know, on Food Network right. and how, you know, it's whatever space. And then there's this sort of faith piece that I, you know, go to churches and speak to, you know, women's hmm. groups or whatever. I've been, I use the word burdened, but I gifted with this s- tremendous sense that food has, um, that, that, that food is so related to my faith in God and mm. it draws us in. And so I started exploring that. I knew that, um, you know, I sort of suspected when um, that, oh, you know, food brings us together as a community and God wants that and whatever. And that's beautiful. Mm. I'm not trying to minimize that element of that intersection of food and faith. But I realized upon further study and evaluation and working in this, that they are so closely tied that I, um, that I, 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 I literally cannot take a bite without thinking about, um, how that fits into, um, God and his plan mm-hmm. for us and his creation. And so how I understand that, which was your, your question, um, it is so multifaceted and complex that there is no medium answer, but I'll mm. give you a couple little um, tidbits. The, okay. the first way I understand food is one is that, that as that community piece, invitation into that community totally. and into intimacy. And I think that that's, um, we just kind of talked about that, but I think there's um, a bigger invitation and there's so many different invitations and reading through the Bible, I'm realizing food is everywhere. It sure is. It, yeah. uh, food has got special status yeah, and, and, and so it's not just, food is not just a product. Food is not, food is about stewardship. Food is about our creation right. and how we are stewards of that creation and we're not owners of that creation. And what does that mean for us in terms of um, the food supply and how we how we um, how mm. we are stewards of 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 our environment, but also Good. of our food. So I think there's that invitation into that creation and to being a creature. I think mm. there's an invitation. I understand food as being um uh, one of God's greatest gifts to us. Mm, um, I agree with that. I read a book, um, which I loved, um, called uh, A Meal with Jesus by Tim Chester. But there's a line mm-hmm. in there that just stood out to me. I read it a few years ago, and it, it rings true every day for me. Mm. And that was, he wrote, um, the world is far more delicious than it need be. And, oh, I and, love it. And, 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 and now I'm back to my voice, not Tim's. And it, why, why is that? And the, the only answer I can come up with, Jen, is that it's a gift. He wants us to delight in the food. He, if, if God just wanted food to be fuel for us, he could have designed a far more efficient system than what True. he has done. You know, it could be like tasteless. We could, you know, it could just be, eat it and go on and that'd be the end of it. But that's, that's not the way God designed it. And mm. so what does his design tell us? It tells us, I believe that we are to eat and delight. I believe, and look at what God talks about, yeah. you know, ultimately in, you know, in, in Revelation, we will like be dining with yeah. him. A feast, a huge table. It's a feast. God, so I understand God 
uh, food as being a gift from God that is meant to be cherished and eaten with gratitude. I think the flip side to gratitude is, not flip side, but companion to gratitude is dependence. Mm-hmm. We are meant to be dependent upon God. You know, we, we can we can be gardeners, but we also need to wait and let nature do its thing, right? Mm. So it also is an invitation into dependence upon God. I think that food is an in, is an invitation into patience. We have to wait for food to grow. We have to wait for it to cook. We have to slow down and clean up mm-hmm. the dishes. We have to serve. And when we look, let's look at Jesus for a minute. What did Jesus do with meals? Jesus used meals to connect. Right. And more importantly, to connect with the marginalized. Uh-huh, so that's so true. Here's the thing as a Christian, if 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 marginalized don't feel their best and most welcome when they're around a Christian, then that, my friend, is on us, not on Jesus. That's good. That's good. And that's basically my whole life's mantra right there in one sentence. And yes, is it? It's and I think that's also one of the many things that I I love about you. But one of the reasons why you ring so true is I love how Jesus focused you are. Because mm-hmm. I think if we if we have any doubt, we can just sort of go back to, you know, Jesus. You know, what would Jesus do? Right. right truly. And, and and I think. And um, what did he do? That's what, a good. We, yeah. we don't have to. Look, we can see in plain sight. He sat around many a table. I think Luke mm-hmm. describes like seven or eight different table mm-hmm. scenes. So, I mean, that's just exactly what we see him doing. And and even as you're talking, I'm thinking um, how deeply our culture uh, works against these beautiful layers of food and table and hospitality and, and earth and soil. I mean, virtually every message I think our generation is receiving right now is something not that. It's the opposite. Like, um, here, we'll... Um, we'll do the work for you. Um, you'll have this um, quick and easy. Um, all this, it unnecessarily paints food, cooking, hospitality as a burden, mm-hmm. uh, as certainly beyond our skill set. So they can they can play into that insecurity with ease. Uh, but then they, they press on what I think is our hottest commodity, which is time, mm-hmm. um, to say this is just something that you could not be expected to spend your time on. And so we will create a food system that is truly food-like products um, to sort of take this burden off your shoulders, where the truth is it's deeply nourishing. It's spiritual. It's sacred. It's good for our hearts. It's good for our souls. It's good for me to be in the kitchen. I mean, I look forward to it um, because it's this sense of, I am going to serve my family. I'm going to serve my friends. Um, This is going to taste good, even if it's just three ingredients. It's not fancy, like you said. That's fancy need not apply here. Um, But I think we're getting a message that is very antithetical to the things that you're saying. And these are spiritual messages. And so we're going to have to push hard against them. It's going to take work to resist that um, narrative that the food industry and that our culture is aiming at us, specifically aiming at women, don't you think? Absolutely. And I think that what's, um, you're so, I was going to say, you're so juicy and amazing. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Juicy and amazing. That's the title of my next book. Um, yes. And, 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 and the title of this podcast will be um, A Weekend with Melissa D. Arabian. As <laughs> Settle in for 48 hours of nonstop talking. Because <laughs> um, that's what I love it. Um, okay, um, but 
but yes, uh, to your point, yes, particularly to women. Mm. So the tricky part is there's partial truth tucked into um, this um, this deception. The deception is rarely we're rarely pulled into mm. stuff that is you know an outright obvious. lie. Yeah, an right. outright lie. That's we're we're not stupid, right? Um, you know we're you know so it, it's a complex thing. So there's a partial truth. What are the partial truths that we have to pay attention to? Well, one is that, um, you know, we, we are busy on a Tuesday night. We do need mm-hmm. to put together, um, you know, have a quick dinner for Tuesday night to feed our families before they go to soccer class and dance class. So there's a partial truth, True. which is time is short and you don't have to spend a lot of time to uh, make some simple food. But that partial truth, when we start um, um, putting that up on the pedestal of, oh, therefore, let's rid ourselves completely of any time spent in the kitchen, um, we don't recognize, I don't think we realize what the price we would pay um, when we decided to um, let let the institutions make food for yeah. us. Yeah, it was a bad food. deal. It's, it was a bad it, bargain. And we still don't fully appreciate it because there are a lot of external costs that are not baked into, um, you know, a package of overprocessed ramen or, right. or or juice that's actually just high fructose corn syrup. You know, the, right. the external costs aren't included. If they were included in a bottle of, you know, high fructose corn syrup, you know, fake apple juice, trust right. me, it would be very, very expensive and you would buy the real stuff. That's just mm-hmm. that's just the, the reality. The other partial truth that I think is particularly particularly directed at women, um, which is we have taken skinny as being a proxy for healthy. Mm. And now there's some truth to the fact that obesity does indicate for a lot of people that you're probably not eating the right things. The problem with that partial truth is that then we we start worshiping that little teeny nugget of, well, then skinny is also great. Skinny is Mm -hmm. better. Skinny is this or whatever. I'm making up one, I'm taking one partial truth that we have, um, we have morphed into this sort of space that we mm-hmm. now, um, we now run this risk of, um, yeah, the, 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 if we go down that path, we start looking at the gift and not the giver is mm. really what that kind of morphs into. So we have to be very careful about partial truths than getting put up on a pedestal. Same thing with restaurants. I love going in. There's artistry. There's beauty in restaurants. I love restaurants. I love restaurant food. I love restaurant chefs. I'm so glad that they're here because they're creating, they're putting this voice into food that is phenomenal. But if we take that partial truth and we're like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So now we all have to be restaurant chefs because if we're not serving our family restaurant food, then we're losers. Right then that's a different story. So partial truths are very insidious and they're tricky. They are. And let's, let's not joke around. I mean, the partial truths have been spun into quite a financial profit for a lot of industries. Oh, yeah. So there is much to be gained from taking these little partial truths and pressing them on our insecurities and exploiting these sort of deep inner voices that we all have telling us these shameful things that are not true. And so this is very, very profitable. Anytime I feel like I am buying into a destructive message, um, if I am clear-headed enough, I'd like to take a step back and go, who's profiting off of this? And there's somebody is, 
be it the beauty industry, the food industry, somebody is profiting off this ugly voice in my head that's being subtly reinforced by all this messaging and marketing. And so I think that is really good. This is, uh, to me sort of an internal discipline to develop, um, to begin to, to you know, what the Bible would say is take thoughts captive. So, you know, you've, you've got this thought coming in. It's mean. It's ugly. It's harsh. It's destructive. You know that's not of God because that's not his language. So when that is there, it's a discipline, I think, to say, oh, for number one, where's that coming from? Number two, who would profit if I press into this, if I buy into this? Mm-hmm. Um, and number three, what do I need to replace this with? And so I think that's what this conversation is, talking about how to replace a lot of those really awful thoughts and narratives with things that are healthy and nourishing and true and good, good for us and good for our families and good for our neighbors and communities. And I love that. And I like that you care about that. I, that, that gives me a, that gives me a real sense of comfort that, um, you know, here you've got this amazing career that's centered not just in, in food and cooking and kitchen, but like on networks and in New York times lists. And, you know, your voice is really being elevated and it's very, very comforting to me to know that deeply embedded in your food ethos are all these ideas. Um, all this really beautiful, spiritual, rich content that undergirds your table. It's amazing. Hey guys, just a quick break. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. Just want to tell you one quick little offer um, that our friends over at audible.com have for you, my listeners. So this is what Audible's offering you a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial just to give you the chance to check out their services if you don't already love them. They're amazing. Um, you're going to love Audible. You can get a free audiobook just for trying it out. You can check out my books over there if you want them. I recorded them both myself. It's like me reading to you. You could listen to the last one, which is For the Love, or the latest one, which is Of Mess and Moxie. And if not those, there are so many other titles available over there. Um, and you could listen to any one of them for free. So here's what you do. To download your free audiobook today, you just go to audibletrial.com backslash hatmaker. That simple. Audibletrial dot com backslash hatmaker for your free audiobook. Hope you love it. So let me ask you, I'd love to switch gears and and because your 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 life is so interesting and your family is so interesting and everything about you is so cute and fun. And so I would love if you wouldn't mind, I want to I want to go back in your story just a little bit. So, mm-hmm. um, so early on, sort of, you're married. You've got four kids because you had what uh, four daughters in three years, two and a half years. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that's no joke. That mm-hmm. like when I look at pictures of your daughter, sometimes I'm like, are they all are they quadruplets? <laughs> yeah, they're all like the same size. They're like yeah, exactly yeah. the same size. Yeah. Um, two and a half years. I'm doing that math. That's yeah, well, they were, they're, they're now 12, 11, 10, and 10. Um, <laughs> so the first two are 12 months apart. Oh, and um, yeah, three months in, then you find out you're pregnant. Surprise. Um, yeah, like as, as my husband says, you know, from pity sex, because like no, <laughs> no, no woman with a three-month-old baby is like, you know, you know, anyway. Um, but hey, you know what? Uh, God, God has plans. Oh my gosh, I'll never not call it that. Because that's what it is. At the six week, eight week mark, it is pity sex. So right, you're just like you oh, got a this whole new baby guy. out of it. Um, yeah, then we get a baby out of it. You know, which oh, what you know, God knows what He's doing. Of course. Um, and um, and then 18 months later, we had yeah. 
by the yeah. 20s. So, yeah. I mean, bananas. Yeah, so, so you've yes. got four kids. They're all little. I mean, they're just everywhere. And so um, at that point in your career, because you had some really interesting um, career moves in your 20s, but at that point with all these babes, you decided to be a stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. And so um, so you start, I like this part of your story, you start kind of employing the things some of the that your mom taught you and, um, and your own experiences and what it looks like to take care of and feed a family of six. So I like the beginning. You made a video that was mm-hmm. just like, I mean, I can only imagine you just threw this thing together. But so it was this very affordable, like cost-saving, delicious way to make homemade yogurt, right? And it caught on fire. I mean, it just went it went bonkers. So can you talk just a little bit about that season and even that specific moment and how that kind of started um, laying pavement for you into the professional cooking world? Well, yeah. So it kind of did all start with this, uh, with this yogurt video. Um, when the twins were um, yeah, about 10 months old, um, so then I had a one-year-old and a two-year-old and yeah, something like that. I don't know, something like that. Anyway, yeah. Um, anyway, yes, when they were all little, when the twins got to be almost a year old, I started to get a little bit of an itch. So that's when I started speaking um, about cost-cutting measures. And I, sp- I was living in Dallas, uh, the Dallas yeah. area at the time. So I did like, you know, um, mops groups and moms groups and yep. civic groups and whatever. And I was speaking about cost-cutting measures because I worked in strategy and finance for the Walt Disney Company for a number of mm-hmm. years and, you know, was, you know, was came from, you know, a finance background and strategy, just a whole different world. So I kind of took that background with my new world as a stay-at-home mom and sort of brought these lessons into the home management world. But it wasn't all kitchen stuff. It was like everything Uh from like, you know, creative ways to save money on your um, real estate bill or whatever. And, but the thing that was most popular was this yogurt. Like how was I <laughs> right. making, um, cause I wanted to use organic milk, but we we're on a huge budget and how do yep. I make organic yogurt myself? So I, I started having people in my home. I had like, like workshops, you know, yeah. which sounds like I'd be like, I would was like charging money. No, it was just like, Oh, come on over. So I had like sure. friends of friends and people like making, you know, and I still <laughs> had like four kids in diapers and like, we're making yogurt. And finally the madness had to stop because, <laughs> right. you know, I've got a diaper to change. Right. And, um, and that's when I made the video. And so what, what worked about the video, I am convinced. Mm. And what has been a great reminder for me is, um, the video was really about what do you need to know to be able to do this successfully? And so that you can have this gift Mm. of this, of this way of making yogurt. And so it was very, um, it was very geared toward, okay, I'm going to answer all of your questions so you feel 100% comfortable making uh-huh. this in your home. Got it. And so the, the, which is sort of a long way of saying that it was very service oriented. Yeah. It wasn't about, oh, do I look cute? What does my yeah. hair look like? Do I, you know, um, you know, whatever, whatever, all these things that TV can do to you. Sure. Um, and I've gone back to that over and over mm-hmm. and over again, um, especially with $10 dinners, because I will tell you, a 30 minute show with a camera on your face and uh, just you and this, you know, cavernous set with, you know, cameras all over and bonkers. hundreds of people. It's, it's you and 30 minutes and a camera and no script is oh no joke, my friend. <laughs> it's no joke. <laughs> it okay. is no joke. I, I am dying for you to talk about this. Um, it's just so, it's so fascinating for those of us who watch it and who watch all these shows and it all just seems so charming and easy. 
easy and, oh, and here, just add some paprika. You know, you just make it seem so easy and there is a 0% chance it is. So I want you to go back one step. Will you tell everybody, first of all, it's a, quite a big leap to go from the yogurt to the f- next Food Network star. I mean, that was a big step. So can you talk first about the next Food Network star, America's next Food Network star and what that was like? Um, and that experience, and then parlay that into $10 dinners because um, you have re- just really, girl, I mean, you're, you've just really made it. It's amazing what has happened to your, to your career. So what on earth made you um, go onto that uh, reality sh- competition show? So um, it was a very big commitment. And my husband was a consultant and traveling and, you know, it was a couple years post MBA. So he was really kind of at the beginning of a very intense career. So it was a very big price to pay um, for us to send me. So we, um, it happened right around the end of the year. So we were doing our yearly um, uh, sort of analysis about like what our family goals are, what our personal right. goals are, whatever, and sort of our family mission statement and what we were about. So we were very deliberate about what this would mean, mm-hmm. um, what the price would be, and um, and if I won, what would that look like, and right. what would what would be my contribution um, to this world? And and I really looked at it that way okay. uh, to sort of say, listen, what you know, I think there's a voice in food um, that I think I have, mm-hmm. and that I think is not being voiced right now. That doesn't mean I'm the only one who has it, but I felt like there's a conversation that that I felt like I am I am really I think uniquely qualified to talk about this. Yeah. If they're looking for um somebody to get the dinner on the table um you know right. with four screaming kids and you know to do that all on a yeah. Tuesday night and to do it in a way that um that is honoring of our bodies of our souls of our of our stewardship of yeah. this earth and you know all these things the stewardship of our money our financial resources sure. you know if they're if they're looking for somebody who's been there and done that yeah, that's and they want that part, then then there's no question I'm the person they should pick. Yeah. There's no question. Now they may say, yep, you are the person to pick. That's not what we want. That's not what we want. Right. That's totally fine. I can, I can step away from that. Right. But that was your lane and you were going to run in it and see if they were having it. That's right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's why it didn't really stress me out that my nice skills weren't as great as everybody else's. Mm. Cause I mean, here's the truth. If you have opened up 32 restaurants and you have been a professional chef for 16 years and you have gone to CIA and your knife skills aren't better than mine, then you suck. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) pack your knives and really go home. Of course they're better. I would hope they're better. Yeah. But, so you just you know, showed up as you doing what you do in the way that you do it. Yes. I looked at these 10 people and said, okay, I'm the only one who's not a chef. Oh, I'm the only yeah. one who hasn't done that. You know, I'm the only one who hasn't gone to culinary school, all the whatever. I said, yeah. but here's, here's what I have. I'm like, I need to know what I bring to the table. No one else does. One <laughs> is I am the only one here who gets dinner on the table with four kids every single night. Fact. Yep. I'm the only one. Yeah. Fact. Fact yep. upon fact. Yep. Right. Okay. Second thing I looked at them and said, I'm the only one here with an MBA. Ah, well, okay. you know what? Um, that matters because that's, that's what, you have this yeah. economical piece worked into your to your message. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make it really easy for them to see why this would be a great business decision. Ah. So, um, I, you know, those were sort of the two things I thought I bring to the table. No uh-huh. one else does. Yeah, I don't mm, want to like come that. in second. What's the craziest thing that happened on that show to you oh, specifically? Like, what was your craziest moment where you were like, what What is happening right now? Oh. 
Because uh, that show okay, looks bananas when I watch it. I will tell you. There was one challenge where we had to do, um, it was like we had to give like a money-saving tip. We were cooking for Ina Garten and a bunch of her friends, and we had a budget. Okay. So it was like a budget dinner party for fancy people in the Hamptons, and we yeah, had to cook yeah. on a budget, right? So <laughs> in my lane, um, like I'm, you know, I grew up like eating chicken wings back when they were Z-shaped and not at all like fancy. Okay? <laughs> they were not bar food. Um, right. They were just cheap chicken and, and mostly skin. And, um, so we, this is like, this is made for me. And Tyler okay. Florence was the judge uh-huh. of like, you know, they always have like one like little pre-challenge yep. and then the big challenge. So he was the judge of the pre-challenge and our, okay. our challenge, um, was to go through this grocery store and, um, find an ingredient and give it like a money saving tip to camera. Okay. Like, and then he was going to pick like a winner of that pre-challenge who got like a, whatever an advantage in the main challenge. Fine. So I give the tip um, uh, that with green onions, that if you just cut off the greens, you can put the root into a cup, put it back in your fridge and it will regrow back the greens. So yeah. you can always have like greens for your, like, you know, green onions for your salad That's actually a good tip. and, or you can even put it in your backyard. It will always just regrow, yeah. regenerate. So you buy green onions once and you have green onions for, you know, a few months or whatever. Actually a really great tip. I think it's yeah. a really great tip. I think it's a really fun tip. Um, I have to tell you, it has become like a Tip. I still get emails this day. I still love that tip. People really. Love that tip. Oh yeah, I get. Yeah, people love that tip, and um, and the judges, the 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 main judges, uh-huh. loved that tip as well. Okay. However, when we shot the mini the mini challenge, and then we all get together, and then they go to say who won the uh, the mini challenge, they yeah. also always call out a loser. Uh, no. I was the loser. <gasps> what? Yes, I was the loser. No, with the onions. I know, That's a right? winning tip. I think it's a winning tip. But here's the funny thing. So here's what Tyler Florence says, which is where I was like, oh my gosh, this world is like crazy. Um, <laughs> so here's what Tyler Florence says. Um, I should preface this by saying I love Tyler and and, uh-huh. and, and we're friends. Friendly, I should say. We're not friends. Uh, but we're certainly very friendly and, and it's all delightful and great. But right? here's what he says to me. Um, he said... <laughs> I'm such a dork. He tells me, he says, oh, you know, uh, not so successful. You know, Melissa, your right. tip with the green onions. You know, green onions cost 69 cents. People don't care about saving 69 cents. Ah. And here's what he says. He said, you know, the thing is this. Um, something along the lines of, you know, you can, you know, be blonde and pretty and look good, but you have to be careful that when you open up your mouth, something <gasps> smart comes out of it. No, no, something like that. Okay, no, um, uh, no, yeah, yeah, that's terrible. Well, it and here's the crazy part about this. Oh my gosh, like I, I I grew up with a beautiful sister and she was always the pretty one. I was always a smart one. Like I, there's no, Mm. there's no world in which I ever question or worry that I'm not smart. That's just, that's just not my, that's not my hot Uh button at all. That's all fine. Um, But I do worry about not being pretty and not being whatever. So in all of this, (laughs) I sat there and like my takeaway. Oh, I can't even. I'm pretty. Just call me pretty. (laughs) Totally. <laughs> you were flattered. I was flattered by it. I didn't care that I lost. Now, later I'm like, that's just, this, oh I'm like, that's the stupidest thing in the world. So that's the world where so I funny. thought, what is this world coming to? And, and I will say, it's the bigger lesson, which is, are we so desperate for someone to say we're pretty and we're, we're amazing oh my God. that we can get, but I mean, we can, we can get, that we can actually be insulted and find flattery in it because yeah. somewhere embedded was that I was pretty. Yes. Now I will say <laughs> as, as a side note, the other judges, they loved it. They 
they thought it was creative and fun. And oh. it actually, um, it, the fact that I lost got edited out. Um, oh, really? Yeah. So that whole piece never made it to air. And, and listen, I get it. Like Tyler later probably thought that wasn't the best way to say that, you know? So I, there's no, I say that not in any ill will. And I may be quoting it yes. exactly, not exactly right, but it was something like that. It was definitely, you got to make sure that when you open your mouth, something smart comes out of it. Oh and I'm gosh. like, wait, did you just say I'm pretty? Okay. <laughs> All good. <laughs> so awesome. I love that. <laughs> not going to quit laughing about that the rest of the day. Um, so then, of course, you sort of parlay into $10 dinners, which is such a great show. I mean, useful, smart, accessible, doable. Um, you know, some of those shows are f- interesting to watch, but they're just so beyond. Mm-hmm. You know, there's they feel... I don't know what, inaccessible. I love $10 dinners. Talk about that experience just a little bit. What's that show been like and your experience with the network and um, and even like what's hard about doing a 30-minute show where there's just you and a camera? I will tell you, $10 dinners, I, first of all, I, thank you. I love $10 dinners yeah. um, and I love it because it's doable. Um, I think there's a lot of value to this world where we read cookbooks as, you know, people read cookbooks in bed, like they read yeah, them. like a novel. And they have no intention of ever making the, um, or bigger, they have intentions, but they never actually make the recipes. Yep. Um, so I think there's a lot of good that comes from that. Um, that's not my lane. My lane is um, when you, you know, need to make dinner on a Tuesday night, um, you know, pull out my book and, and you'll be able to make yep. it because you've got the ingredients in the house. Yep. So my lane is I want to get you into the kitchen cooking. Yeah, um, that's what you do. Yeah, that's that's what I do. And I want I want you to, even if you don't forget my recipes, forget the what I want you to be um, you know, sitting down with your family, even if you are yeah. ordering and takeout. There's so many benefits to um, and not just, you know, the emotional and the spiritual benefits, but you know, the the cognitive benefits and the um, and the emotional benefits for kids and family. So there's so many good things that totally. happen when we eat. Oh, together. there's a lot of research behind this yeah. too. That's real. Yeah. So it's not it's not just about the food. So even so even <laughs> if you ha- can't make the food, at least sit down together and eat. That's good. And, and th- so that's you know then I feel like that's a victory even if it's not you know my food. But ten dollar dinners um, really that was the goal was to get people really cooking. And I will tell you what I've had people. I mean it's it was it was crazy. People would come up to me um, and 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 say to me with tears in their eyes, you know, say, I never thought that I could mm. host a party, but I used your, you know, your bean yep. recipe trick or your this or that. And I was able to host a party and not break. The, I never thought I could afford to host and to totally. welcome me. tears in their eyes. And yeah. I am thinking, wow, this is huge. Yeah. People, um, our, our sense of who we are is so connected to it is. our ability to, to feed our families. And so $10 dinners was, was a really a celebration of stewardship. I mean, you know, it has to be catchy and it has to be accessible to sort of feel like, Oh, $10 dinners. But it's, you know, if anybody reads the book, $10 dinners, they see it's not about just getting the cheapest food and putting it in your bodies. It's mm. about stewardship and it's about honoring, um, you know, our, our ingredients and seasonality and, and it's really busting the myth that we have to shop in the inner aisles. Um, it's really changing. It's really changing that framework. And so um, it was such a deep, um, rich, philosophical show for me. Like when I, mm. I created that, I mean, like this was such a perfect um, 
you know, mashup of, of what my life had been up, been up until then. And, um, so it's a very strategic show. That's what $10 dinners was for me. It, and it is, and I, I, um, I say it a lot. If anybody ever comes to any of my speeches, they always hear me talk about how I am not in the food business. I'm not in the TV business. I'm not in the writing business. I'm in the trench buddy business. Mm. I'm in the trenches of life. We all want to know we're not alone. And I'm in there with you and I get it. And I've been the person who can't invite people over um, because I don't have the money. So I have ways that I got around it. And I'm going to share that with you. You made it look easy, but I know that's not. Uh, You know, thank you for saying that. But there are definitely like my husband and I, we have different, um, you know, different seasons sort of nicknamed different things because it's like, oh, my gosh, like, I feel like I'm, you know, just forever using that word that season or whatever. (laughs) Like Um, everything is awesome. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Correct. (laughs) So um, it's just and it's hard. It's hard mm. to have this many people up in a control. This many people stay. It wasn't an intimate. It was a very cavern. It was filmed at the Food Network Studios, which now right. is just where they film Chopped. They don't film anything else there, I don't think, to my knowledge. Okay. But anyway, it's hard. But um, you know what? We can do hard things. Yeah. It was worth it. It was worth it. I loved it. I loved getting people mm. cooking. And 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 that's that's what led me to do um, It's Tuesday Night Somewhere. Is yeah. Because I... I I want people to cook and I want them to not I want to get rid of this notion that it has to be perfect and that it has to be restaurant food and that it has to be expensive and that it has to be expensive mm. to be healthy and you yep. know so um so it's sort of like it's Tuesday night somewhere was sort of my answer to well if you're not going to do $10 dinners, then uh-huh. I'm I'm still going to do this because well, tell it's everybody my about space. it. Tell everybody about the new series. Yeah, so it's um, and I'm, I'm saying it's a new series. It's actually not really anymore because um, I've been doing it since the week they even started Facebook Live. So it's oh, been okay, it's been yeah. almost a year and a half. Yeah. Um, so yeah, which is a really long time. Um, the first few episodes were with my iPhone, and then I ended up sure. buying equipment and whatever. So you sort of see a progression. I really wanted to get people cooking. Mm-hmm. And um, so it started out with me just sort of, uh, you know, inviting people into my home while I cook dinner that night to show them that, you know, that that even if you're a network star, you know, cooks, you yeah. know, baked chicken for her family because they, you know, are off at classes and you've got, you know, soccer and whatever. Yep. Um, and getting people to cook and not be afraid to cook and giving them ideas um is really a bit of a passion project of mine. And so it's Tuesday mm. night somewhere, you know, we, it, we kind of came up with it because it, I, I tend to use the word Tuesday to indicate your average weeknight. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I get like it. Richard Blaise, Heard, like, it the minute I hear it, I'm like, yes. I get it. And uh, Richard Blaze once pointed it out to me. He's like, I feel like you only cook on Tuesdays. And I'm like, wait, what? He's like, anytime you say like, Oh, on a random Tuesday night, he's like, it's always Tuesday. It's never Wednesday. Do you cook on Friday? You know? And I was like, you know, I <laughs> That's awesome. Tuesday, there's no association. Monday has like, Oh, end of the week, you know, Friday is like end of the weekend, you know, whatever. Tuesday is just a regular weeknight. So it's, it's sure. really meant to be, you know, weeknight cook cooking. What can we make, you know, on those days where you don't go to the grocery store or what, you know, all these different scenarios that face us as the cooks of the family. Um, and so I, you know, I create a recipe, I put it up on my, on my, on my website. Um, and sometimes, you know, people will even sometimes cook along. Um, that's it. it, I, I go fast enough that people usually cannot cook along. It's usually that they can cook along if they want to watch later. Um, but it's, 
the idea is whatever I'm doing on on that Tuesday, I um, I check in and I and I show everybody what I'm cooking. Totally. I can't tell you how many times I've I've watched somebody put together um, a dish on the television set, and it's beautiful and it's lovely, and there's a zero percent chance I'm ever going to try it. I'm not. I'm not going to have that ingredient. I'm not going to pull that off. Um, I can't even number how many things oh, that yay. I watched you cook on your show that I made in my kitchen because I could, and you made me feel like I could. Like this is not hard. This is not hard. This is not um, cooking. Is not a big mystery. This is not something reserved for the you know culinary grad elites or, or restaurant owners. I mean, this is for just the mom. The wife, the gal, the man, whoever in the kitchen with a knife and an onion. And so um, I, I feel like I really learned a lot about um, really good food on a budget. We're obviously on a budget. We're feeding just as many people in this house. And and time, we're on a time budget too. And so you've been a really, really good teacher to me and to just so many of us um, who have watched you. I, I'm really proud of you. I really love... Um, I love your your heart and soul behind what you do. I love that um, that you're choosy about where you where you go and and what you back and where you put your influence. That that is really um, noble to me. I, I really respect that and and I love your I love your ideas about food. I love your ideas about God and and feasting and joy and what the table does for us. It's just I I could not be in more agreement. I am I'm just cheering you on in every way. So listen, we gotta wrap this up. I'm gonna ask you a couple of down and dirty questions. These are like end of the podcast, like just okay. first reaction, okay. whatever you think the answer is, just go with your gut. So mm-hmm. um here's one. So let's say you've got uh you got one hour to get ready and six friends have just called and said, we're going to, we're coming over for dinner. So what's in your pantry or your fridge, like right now that you would grab and cook and make a really good meal for your friends that could be ready in like 60 minutes. Okay. So right now, you mean like really right now? Yeah. Like I'm serious. If it's in your kitchen, okay. what would you, if it was today, right. what would you do? Okay. Cause that's a tricky one. We, we just recently moved. So I have not, I have not gone ah. stock up. <laughs> yes. So, yes. Um, or so I, uh, yeah. Anyway, okay, here's what I right now. And this I have at all times. Um, okay. I, I would mix together beans and tuna. Oh. And make, and make like a salad or something like that. Yeah. I would probably, yeah. So I would probably make some sort of composed salad. I always have greens in the house. Always, yep. always, always, always. Um, and I always have canned fish in the house. Yeah, always, always, always. Like that literally, like when I went and picked up milk to put in the fridge so that, you know, we could yep. eat here, th- there was and tuna. canned fish and canned, <laughs> um, and can I always have canned beans. Canned beans, great convenience food. It's cheaper to, to totally. use dried beans and, and make them in the, um, um, you know, soak, soak them, them and yeah. do whatever. So that's definitely cheaper for sure. Um, but canned beans are a great convenience food. Um, and then the other thing I always have, um, is some sort of like whole grain pasta. Um, yeah. whole grain pastas, it really pastas, you got to read the labels because, um, they've got some really nice high protein pastas out there. My daughter's gluten, one of my daughters is gluten free. So, you know, we have a lot of like those lentil pastas and bean pastas yeah, and they're so like, you know, 
12 grams of protein per serving. So now yeah. if you suddenly boil up some pasta, open up a can of tuna, open up a can of yeah. beans and rinse them and, you know, and then, you know, yeah. apply some sort of acid and some sort of oil, whether that be vinegar or lemon mm-hmm. or whatever. And then like, you know, olive oil, you know, even, yeah. even if all you have is salt and pepper, no fresh herbs, let's just say, although I always have um, uh-huh. dried uh, herb de Provence because that's, great herb sure. to have in your cupboard. So you put those herbs and then you've got some greens, you got some pasta, you put it all out, you layer it out. Here's here's the trick when you're dealing with like really simple ingredients like canned beans, canned fish, you know, pasta, um, get out a uh-huh. platter or a big plate, put out your greens yes. and then layer it all out beautifully. Just I would make it look pretty. Just make it look pretty and then make something that you can be at the front door to greet people. So I would do that platter. Um, I would, if you had it, Beautiful. boil up some... Uh, eggs and you know, hard oh, boiled yeah. eggs on the platter as well and then just make it like this beautiful platter. Awesome. I have however to respect the rules of this game today, um, I will not do that because yes. I need to go to the store and get eggs. Yeah. You have no eggs. There you go. <laughs> um I actually love that. You could do that. You don't even need an hour for that meal. You oh, could do that wait, in twenty minutes. So Jen Hatmaker. Okay. One more question. Um what's your like what's your best culinary moment? Like you I don't know what it is. Maybe it's on a show. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's in your house. Where was the moment you're like, I nailed it. I nailed this meal. I nailed this moment. I, this delicious dish or whatever it was. Like, what's your culinary high? Um, I remember in Food Network Star, it was um, the, um, the, the, the second to last challenge, the, the penultimate challenge, um, where they were going to choose the two who were going to go into the final, if I recall correctly. So there were three of us and we had to cook a, um, a dinner party with an unlimited budget. It was going to be in front of, I mean, all these amazing, um, culinary geniuses, like, you know, from Rick Bayless to, you know, I mean, to all the food network stars, it was like this big, it was actually down in Miami during the, the wine and food festival. So they had all this talent available to them. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was just like amazing. And, um, and I, cooked. We had like five hours to cook this big dinner party. Okay. And I, I cooked this, um, what later became really my most popular recipe, my potato bacon tort, which is like a, um, oh, you know, it's potatoes yeah. and bacon in a butter and flour crust. So it yeah, literally delicious. is it's delicious. It's, but it's like 50 cents a serving. Sure. So I cooked that for, I cooked a bunch of things. I, you know, I'd cooked like eight dishes or something. So I did all that and I presented it to them. And this was the time where we were given sort of like a free sort of five minute, I think, um, kind of presentation time to present ourselves, our point of view. It was sort of like the the final um, yeah. discourse before right. we decide who's going to be in the final two. Right. Like and, make your case. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and, and we can do anything with that. Okay. And I remember in those those five minutes, I spoke to them about my mom and mm. losing her to suicide and what that meant and how this, you know, and how I learned the love of food from a woman who couldn't cook and, Good. you know, and, and, and how I learned about, you know, stewardship of money um, because we didn't have any. And, and I was able to connect. Yeah. It was in this crazy world of Food Network Star and cooking and all of this stuff and thousands of hours of doing this. 
Hmm. I was able to have intimacy with this group of people and tell them who I was and what I was about and what mattered to me and why food mattered to me. And I was able to get beyond just, can you cook? But sort of, why do you cook? And why does food matter? It was the perfect storm of connection. And, um, you know, also feeling like I have, I have played my game and it is up to them to decide what they want to do with it. So I also felt very uh, much at peace. But I, that was probably sticks out in my mind as one of my top culinary moments. Um, yeah, I think that one. Uh, oh, well, we cannot. We're going to end on that high note because mm-hmm. that, like, I'm I'm grinning while you're telling that story uh, because that that moment appears to be, and I'm sure that it was, so high pressure, so skills-based, so skewed, so adrenaline-fueled that, I mean, you just almost can't imagine how you stand up straight. So just the idea of you not only doing what you do well, which is cook delicious, beautiful food that's that's doable and affordable, but then just standing in your own on your own two feet talking about who you are and why you are how you are and what matters to you, it's... It's almost like a miracle that you could pull that off in that hot moment. Um, And just reminds me that once again, the food is wonderful and the cooking is wonderful and all that. But everybody just really wants to connect at the end of the day. That's what what moves us. That's what draws us to each other. That's what keeps us coming back. Um, That's why we keep opening our doors and opening our tables. and, um, And really, that's the magic. That's the thing, that sort of vulnerable space that we're able to create to say, um, this is who I am, and I want to know who you are. I want to hear your story. I want you to feel nurtured around my table. I mean, that's it. That's that's holy. That is holy ground. Mm. Thank you for sharing um, not just that story, but all these stories. So I think we could probably talk for 17 hours. So unfortunately, we've got to wrap it up. So will you tell my listeners uh, what you're working on right now? How can people... Um, find you, your books, your everything. It's like where do they where do they get more Melissa? My books, I've got $10 dinners and Supermarket Healthy. Yep. Um, both of those are really rooted in, in stewardship and they're, you know, available um, everywhere. And um, my my next book, which isn't, uh, we don't have a pub date yet because I'm writing it, yeah. uh, is it's going to be about a, a lot of this food and faith um, stuff. And Jen, can I just jump in and say, you said something, um, I heard you say something um, a couple of years ago that has always stuck with me. And I mm-hmm. think it's um, it's beautiful and it's really about kind of our conversation today. But you said something like, um, never imagine that there's not space at the table for yes, you. Yes, I believe that. And, and that that's, first of all, that's beautiful. And thank you. Uh, but that has been such encouragement to me and to my heart. Um, but it's also been a guiding principle that we we always need need make space at the table. If we think there's no space at the table, God's table is bigger than that. That's right. Our God is bigger than 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 the size of the table I have in mind. That's right. So thank you. Mm. Oh, I love that. Oh, perfect, perfect end note. Okay, guys, listen. Everything about this podcast, every book we've mentioned, every show, every link, I'm gonna have it all on my website. So if you didn't get a chance to write it all down, I will have it for you. You can find all of Melissa's amazing things um, over there. And if you did not already know and love her now, you certainly do. Okay, friend, thank you for being on today. Thank you, Jen. Just loved it. Have a great week and we'll see everybody next week. She's great, right? 
Love it. So much food for thought. So much depth there. So much richness. Um, not just about food, but about faith and family. And um, I, I super loved, in fact, I wrote down um, as she said it, the quote that she mentioned, the world is far more delicious than it need be. I like that point of view. I like that outlook. I like that approach to life. Um, she's a phenomenal human being. So guys, everything we talked about is on my website. All the links, all the books, all the shows, um, anywhere you can find Melissa, I'll have it all up there for you in one place. And of course, the transcript, if you'd rather read through our talk um, instead of listen to it. And so it'll all be in there. Also, I'm super looking forward to seeing you on the road. My friend Nicole Nordeman and I are on the Moxie Matters Tour this fall, and uh, we may be coming to your city. So you can find all that information on my website as well under the Speaking tab, or you can go to the MoxieMattersTour.com site for more details. So if we are coming anywhere near you, we would love to see you. Grab your girlfriends and join us this fall. Okay, you guys, I hope you're enjoying For the Love of Food. I obviously love this series. This is um, material themes that are deeply meaningful to me. And we have so many amazing more guests lined up. So um, join us next week. We will be back with another wonderful guest and have another great conversation around the table. So you guys have a great week. Thanks for joining us today on the For the Love podcast. Tune in next week when we sit down again with Jen and friends to chat about all the things we love. Love you, our listeners. So we want to be sure you subscribe to For the Love with Jen Hatmaker via iTunes or your favorite podcast provider so you don't miss a thing. And if you have a minute, please leave us a review. To become a part of Jen's online community, visit jenhatmaker.com and sign up for her newsletter. It's full of all the things you love, including free stuff. We love free stuff. Thanks for listening and see you next time on For the Love with Jen Hatmaker.